I want to just talk to you about a couple things real quick that are on my heart. Um, I'm assuming most of you have uh, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And if and and if you haven't, I hope to make you hungrier for that than you were before. And if you have, I hope to help you understand the power of the gift that you've been given. Because it's very important. First um, Corinthians 14, 18 and 19, Paul says this. Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. You know, Apostle Paul, the guy that all of evangelical Christianity looks up to, and follows his teachings, he's the one who wrote this. I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Um, and then he went on to say, Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 in a tongue. So usually when someone uses this scripture in church, it's to de-emphasize tongues and focus on verse 19. Right? Uh, but maybe we should connect the dots a little bit. Between Paul speaking in tongues more than you all and the abundance of revelation that he walked in. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. I speak in tongues more than all of you. So why would you use something that he wrote to de-emphasize tongues? Obviously, it was a big deal to him. But in the service... When he, was up, when he stood up to preach and to teach, he wanted to speak in a language that people could understand. That's what he was saying. That's all he was saying. He wasn't speaking against tongues. He was saying, when I'm communicating with you, it's important that I speak in a language that you can understand. He wasn't, he wasn't downplaying tongues at all. He probably spoke in tongues more than any other apostle. It was probably used more than any other apostle. Uh, when he wasn't preaching or teaching, he was apparently constantly speaking or praying in tongues. And I want to unpack that for you a little bit. I think that's probably why his spirit was always overflowing. Now, you know, we talk about divine appointments. We talk about some of the incredible encounters uh, that we have. Some of the things that happen. And I, I, I'm here to tell you, when we have these encounters, you don't have time to go home and pray up and fast up. you got to be ready. You know what I mean? So if your spirit is not overflowing, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be ready. In fact, most Christians probably miss them all the time because they're not ready. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about most Christians. Uh, Jude, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, there's only one chapter in Jude, says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's how you build yourself up. The gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, that list of nine, is to build up the body of Christ. Those are not for you personally, they're for the body that you're a part of, right? If God gives you a uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, miracles, 
tongues, interpretation, discerning of spirits, any of those, it's to build up the body of Christ. But praying in tongues is to build you up. It's not for the other people, it's for you. It's to build your own spirit up. That's why he says, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit, is how your spirit stays built up. Well, how do you know that that's what he's talking about when he says praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go look at it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13. I want to make sure you understand that I'm not taking things out of context here. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. I'd like to give you a different translation of that because I don't... I think the implication there is if you speak in a tongue, then you need to spend time praying that God helps you interpret what you're, what you're speaking. That may be an aspect of what he's saying, but maybe what he's saying is pray in tongues so that you can interpret what you're... Anyway, okay? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit... Remember what I told you a couple weeks ago? Tongues is the, one of the major keys to interpretation. And I've already had people come tell me, you know what, I did that. I, when I had a vision, when I had a dream, I prayed in tongues and God gave me the interpretation of what I saw. So tongues is a major key to interpretation. It just is. While you're doing that, God will download understanding of things. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, then my spirit is praying. So that's praying in the spirit, right? What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray in tongues, and I'm also going to pray in the language that I understand. I'm going to pray both ways. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So he's talking about not only am I going to pray in my prayer language, I'm also going to sing in my prayer language. I'm going to do both. And I'm also going to sing in a language that I understand. So it's very clear that what he's talking about when he talks about praying in the Spirit. He's talking about praying in your prayer language. So praying in tongues quietly, you don't have to make a scene, quietly for your own edification is something you can constantly do with very little effort or even concentration. In fact, I doubt that you can fulfill what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, without praying in tongues. It says, pray without ceasing. You know why? Because when your mind is engaged in something, you can be quietly praying in tongues without even thinking about what you're doing. Your spirit can be building. It's like your, your alternator running all the time your car is running. Your car is taking you down the road, and all the time it's doing that, the alternator is running, charging up the battery. And that's what it's a picture of. Praying in tongues is charging up your spiritual battery all the time that car is running. Isn't that cool? And you don't have to make a scene. You don't have to be disruptive. You can just be doing that quietly under your breath, building yourself up. It is doubtful that we could fulfill that without praying in tongues. When we only pray with our understanding... We tend to engage our intellect a lot. Right? 
I don't trust my intellect to tell me where the Lord's called me to go. I don't trust my human reasoning to take me where the Lord's called me to go. Uh, and let me show you why. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says this. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. It's my spirit, not my intellect, that knows what's really going on. The real door to your heart that can be trusted is your spirit, not your emotions. I don't think I can really awaken my heart and come to wholeness unless my spirit is giving access to my heart. Because I don't trust everything that comes through my emotions. And I know emotions is a doorway to the heart, but your spirit is much more trustworthy access than your, than your emotions are. My spirit searches out what's going on in there. I believe that, you know, most of us got some healing that needs to happen in our hearts, some, some, some healing of our memories, some healing of pain of the past and all that. I believe praying in tongues is a major key to that process. I really do. I believe the Holy Spirit is constantly, as you're praying in tongues, because he gets in the middle of that, and he uncovers, and he releases healing. He uncovers, and he, he releases deliverance. He uncovers, and he heals things, puts them back together again in that process. Is that making sense? Are, are you following what I'm saying? Okay. I don't want you to all be standing there like cows at a new gate. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The issues of your life come from your heart, not your human intellect. It comes from your heart. The Amplified says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that, that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. The real you is what's going on in your heart. And when push comes to shove, what's in your heart is what's going to come out. You can educate your mind as much as you want to, but when someone cuts you off at the corner, we'll find out what's in your heart. Right? Or when your wife hits that trigger. Yeah. I'm not just picking on husbands here, but the reverse is also true. If you want to avail yourself of the full benefits Holy Spirit brings you, then use your gift of tongues to pray so that your spirit always overflows with life and you can meet every challenge that you face. You know, Jesus said the wind blows where it wishes and you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So all of us have an opportunity to be like that to show up at the most unexpected time, at the most unexpected place, and have a divine encounter because we're moved by the Holy Spirit. But if your spirit is not overflowing, you're probably going to miss a lot of those things. And, and it's so important that you use that. So if you're not, if you're not uh, but what I, what I also want you to understand is that praying in tongues is, is not just about a gift. It's about a person. 
It's about the person of the Holy Spirit and in building a relationship with him as your most trusted comforter, helper, partner in life. He's the one who, is, who will always stay with you. He's the one. And if you develop a relationship with him, I'll tell you what, he will do things in and through you that are amazing. Amen? First, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Be ready in season and out of season. The King James says, Be instant. I think most people can't be instant unless their spirit is full and overflowing. Well, I need to go home and fast for a week about this. Mm-mm. Be instant. Be ready. Be overflowing. Let your cup constantly be overflowing with life. Amen? And I hope this doesn't just sound like I'm giving you a mechanical process, because not just about the mechanics of it, but there's a key to using what he gave you, using what Holy Spirit wants to engage you in. Uh, When someone needs what you carry, you may not have time to go home and get all prayed up to help them. You need to be ready. Amen? Is that making sense? So, um, if you have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I I just want to encourage you, really start exercising that gift. Well, how do I know it's him? Well, it's not him, it's you. He doesn't do the speaking, you do. Does that make sense? But the more you exercise the gift and allow him to flow through you, the more powerful it's going to become. It's like a muscle that starts shriveling up and dying and, and, and atrophying if you don't use it. But the more you use it, the more powerful it's going to become. Uh, yeah. I'm going to leave it there for, the, for that, I think. But I just want to encourage you, if, you're not, if you haven't received that, uh, pursue it. Get hungry for it. Because God wants to use you. And your life on earth is only a, for a minute. And then you're going to be reaping the rewards of what you've allowed him to do in and through you for eternity. So it's important. Amen? So let's go to Luke chapter 8. We're going to change subjects here. Kind of. Luke eight twenty six. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Uh, if you've been to Israel or not, the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, um, is between Israel and uh, probably, I think it would be called Jordan on the other side of the Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Uh, but it was the country of the Gadarenes, and that's where he's talking about, to the, to the east of Israel. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes. Well, that's exciting. So demon-possessed that they couldn't keep any clothes on him. Nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? 
And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And now a herd of many swine were feeding there in the mountain. So he begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. I don't know if any of you have watched a movie. I don't watch a whole lot of different movies. If I watch a movie, it's typically one that I've watched a dozen or more times before that I like, not new stuff. But every once in a while on a trip, international trip, I'll watch a new movie that looks, eh, that might be interesting. Well, I watched one called The Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> that looked interesting. <laughs> it uh, stars Russell Crowe, and he's the Pope's exorcist. And so, he, so, he, so he's called into a situation where this, I forget if it was a guy or a woman, uh, was demon-possessed. Was a boy, and and so he goes he goes in, and uh, to to minister, to do an exorcism on this little boy, and they bring a they bring a hog in on a on a rope, into the room. A, a big pig. And so he casts the demon into the pig, and then as soon as they do, he does that, they shoot the pig and kill the pig. That's the opening scene of the movie. I'm like, oh, the Catholic Church would come up with that, you know. <laughs> kind of an interesting twist on things. That's supposedly based on a true story, so I've never tried that. <laughs> anyway, this story reminds me of that because obvious, this is obviously where they got that from tell the demon to get into the pig and then it'll leave the person then we just shoot the pig and get rid of him, the pig and the demon at the same time um, maybe, maybe they eat some deviled pig after that or something <laughs> deviled pork <laughs> sorry I shouldn't be joking about it but it was kind of funny So when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now, this man was so demon-possessed that he, did, he, he wouldn't even live in a house. He lived in a cemetery among the tombs. And they didn't have tombstones and pristine cemeteries. They lived in the caves, basically. Uh, they, they buried their dead in caves. So it was obviously a hillside full of caves where they buried the dead. That's where he lived. So he'd probably in and out of caves and tombs and, and couldn't keep any clothes on him. On him. And, uh, and Jesus cast his spirit out and they come back, and the guy's sitting there in his right mind, clothed, having a conversation with Jesus. Praise God. That's what I would think. And they were afraid. What? 
Why were they afraid? This was a demon-possessed man who is now in his right mind because a greater power and authority than the demons that had possessed him had come and set him free. And now they were afraid. I don't know about you, but that makes me mad. Because I've seen this happen. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. And then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. They're afraid of Jesus' power. Can you believe that? He set this man free and now they're afraid. This man was so full of devils that obviously there was a stronghold over his life that impacted the region. And they weren't afraid of that, but now they're afraid because Jesus came and set him free. They would rather embrace Satan, his bondage, his torment, and his sickness. I see this in religious communities who tolerate demon, demonized people all the time, people that are bound in sickness and infirmity generationally, in torment, in having to be on medication because their minds are twisted and tormented, and they tolerate that. But as soon as you have a healing meeting where people are getting set free, they get all up in arms. I was a, I was a young Christian. You know, when I was when I was a baby Christian, I was ready to tackle anything. You know, I was I had I had been in such a deep dark dungeon for so long, and Jesus came and set me free, and brought me out into the light. And as far as I was concerned, He could do anything for anybody. I'm, I still believe that, but I understand now that people needed be willing to receive what He what He brings. And uh, a relative of my wife's uh, was diagnosed with terminal. Uh, kidney disease, kidney, liver, terminal liver disease, and was getting all yellow and jaundiced, and they were, uh, at the time, because this was almost 40 years ago, at the time they were talking about a pioneering thing of doing a liver transplant, but they weren't sure, it was still kind of in the early stages of doing those, and, and uh, but other than that, she was going to die. And so I uh, decided, you know, they need to know that Jesus will heal her, right? So I go marching in there with my newfound faith and announce to them that Jesus wanted to heal her. They live in a religious culture, you know, and this is my wife's relatives. And, and, uh, and I'm just sure this is going to happen. And they, well, how do you know? Well, Scripture says. So I took them through some Scriptures and showed them that Jesus came to heal all sickness and disease and all of that. Okay, well, how do we do this? I said, well, we'll have a prayer meeting and we'll pray and Jesus will heal her. Okay, so at the time there was a uh, visiting evangelist 
at the church, and he believed in healing as well. So we planned a meeting and took to took uh, her and him and several of us others, uh, in, including the visiting evangelist, up to this uh, place where we would go to pray, and told her family, which is actually his family, uh, while we left because they were staying with his family while she was sick. Uh, you stay home and pray, and we're going to go uh, anoint her with oil, and get, Jesus is going to heal her. Okay. So we go. We anoint her with oil, oil and Jesus healed her. All, all the yellow jaundice left her. All the symptoms left her. And, uh, and we knew she was healed. She knew she was healed. So we come back to the, the house where they were staying, the in-laws. And while we were gone, wouldn't you know, the devil showed up. And all of a sudden, while they were praying, there was a boom, like a shotgun went off in the house. Didn't make any sense, but it scared the tar out of them. And they got afraid. And they turned against us and the healing. Well, we're dealing with powers here that, are, that we better not be messing with. And so they turned again. So we told the young couple, look, you guys need to move back home. Get out of this house. Leave this fear and unbelief. And they didn't. And within two weeks, all of her symptoms came back. Now, fortunately, she did have a liver transplant, which was the next best thing to healing. She had to be on medication from then on to keep her body from ejecting her liver, which caused her to bloat up and, and all of that. And she just passed away here a couple, couple years ago. Uh, she, she lived quite a long time. Um, but it's an example of how the devil uses fear to rob people of what God has for them. And every time it happened, we, we saw it when, uh, when we prayed for uh, Jimmy Mass's wife and God raised her from the dead. And, uh, and we're rejoicing. Jimmy's rejoicing. Becky, who was dead and is now alive, was rejoicing. I mean, she was dead for over half an hour. The Lord raised her from the dead right up in Cleveland Clinic. And uh, remember that day, Denny? She looked like a corpse already when we went in and prayed for her and anointed her. And he asked us to come anoint her because her own pastor didn't walk in the healing faith that we did. And 14 days later, she walked out of the hospital. And, the only, and they, told, they told him that she had less than a 2% chance of surviving. And if she did, she would have permanent brain damage. Well, she walked out of the hospital 14 days later. And the only evidence of what had happened was burn marks on her chest from the paddles. And her family got upset that we raised her from the dead. They were planning her funeral. I'm not sure if they ever got used to the idea that their daughter was dead and is now alive or not. But her resurrection upset them more than her death. I don't understand that thinking, do you? Why would we be more at peace with the devil's affliction on people than God's power to heal and restore people? 
It upsets me. It really does because there's such an obvious religious spirit behind it coming against the power of God and what Jesus wants to release through his people. They'd rather see somebody either dead or on long-term medication and in a stupor uh, than to see them healed and restored. And so it, doesn't, it, does not, it, it, it irritates me. It offends me. I think it offends Jesus. You know, Jesus, there were some things that offended him. He's, he told Peter, Peter, you're an offense to me. Remember? Don't pretend to believe in God and yet have more faith and confidence in Satan's power to afflict people than you do in God's power to set people free and make them whole. God's power brings freedom, life, healing. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Jesus won't push himself on anyone. He won't. He left. I wonder how many churches he's walked away from. And it breaks my heart. It really does. Because so many churches are full of so many hurting people who really need a touch from Jesus. Why would, they, why would people be more committed to the devil's power than to Jesus' power to heal, save, restore, and resurrect? Why? I think Jesus talked about that in John 3. This is, this is kind of heavy, but it's a serious matter. John 3.18, he said, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Religion covers up evil deeds. Deeds of resentment, bitterness, hostility, and oppression motivated by hate. Exploiting the sick and needy for financial gain. Well, look at how many people you'd put out of business if everybody got healed. <coughs> Keeping people under their control to keep them in a place of authority and power. Verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Now, I grew up in a, in a religious culture, as most of you know, <clears throat> that, that had a lot of darkness in it. There were there some places of light, praise God. But it had a lot of darkness in it. There was a lot of 
demonic healers in the culture. That's something that the outside world doesn't know all that much about that actually is in our culture. My grandpa was one of those medicine men. In Peru, they would call him a shaman because the same thing exists in the culture there. I confront it there just like I do here. But that witchcraft spirit that operates in both cultures is diametrically opposed to the Holy Spirit and his power. And we can't play games with that witchcraft spirit and expect revival to come and people to be set free. It's an evil spirit. It's a wicked spirit. It's against the power of God. And whenever people rise up against healing and deliverance and the power of God being released, you know there's a witchcraft spirit there at work somewhere. And the goal of witchcraft, I'm just going to tell you this, the goal of witchcraft is not doing supernatural stuff. That's a manifestation of it. The goal of witchcraft is control. The goal of a witchcraft spirit is to control you and to suck the life out of you and to fill you with death and hopelessness. That's what it wants to do. And it manifests through divination. It manifests through demonic healing. Uh, it manifests through all different kinds of ways like that. Astrology, there's so many different faces to the thing. But it always has a goal to control you, to bring you under a dark cloak of oppression and control you so the Holy Spirit cannot reach in and, and bring real resolution in your life. And that thing tried to kill me all of my life until Jesus came in my life and set me free. And I hate that thing. I despise that thing. I despise it here as much as I despise it in Peru. <clears throat> and down there I deal with pastors' families who go to church on Sunday and go see the shaman during the week. And I tell them they need to repent for allowing that wickedness in their family. And I don't, I don't believe in playing games with it because I know what it wants to do. I don't trust someone who's under the, the spell of that thing as far as I can throw them. <clears throat> Anyone building their own kingdom instead of being used to build God's kingdom, doesn't want to give up their control, their intellectual superiority, or their support system. Verse 21 says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. Now, listen, there's something in every one of us that's a little bit reluctant about fully coming into the light. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've gone through this battle myself. I know this battle. It reminds me of my friend Alan Smith down in North Carolina. He's a brilliant man. He's, in the, he's got an apostolic anointing on his life. He's filled with so much wisdom. He's a, a very wealthy kingdom businessman. Um... But when, and he's in his 70s now. But when he was 37, 38 years old, maybe 36, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he was given six months to live. Cancer in his lungs. 
He'd never smoked. He was always a Christian. Didn't know why he got it, but he did. The doctor said, get your affairs in order. You're going to die. And so he said, okay, Lord, I need you to show me everything I need to repent of so I can get ready to die. He said, so the Lord did. He said, I didn't know that I had so much I need to repent of because I've always repented. He said, but this time it set me, started setting me free. <clears throat> and uh, he said, the, fr- the, the more I repented, the freer I got until I wasn't even sure I was, if gravity was going to be able to hold me on the ground anymore. That's how free I felt. I thought I might be leaving already. He said, so I asked the Lord, why didn't my repenting before ever set me this free? And the Lord said, because you never repented this way before. You never let go of things for good because you always thought you might need them again. Wow. Wow. He said, and after he got, had, was done repenting of everything the Lord showed him, the Lord healed him. But he lives his life in a new place. And God uses him in amazing ways. He's so full of wisdom and understanding. Oh, somebody's looking out for me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Oh, I think there's another layer there. <laughs> Radical obedience to the voice of God means walking in the light. In other words, if we still have things that we don't want in the light, then we're not ready for radical obedience. And, and, and I'm saying this as one who has walked this journey for 38 years, almost 30, next month it'll be 38 years. And, and it's, been, it's been a process for me to come to the place where as far as I know, there's nothing in me that does not want to be in the light. Now, tomorrow the Lord might show me different. But as far as I know, I'm ready to go wherever the Lord sends me and do whatever he tells me to do. As long as it's not the North Pole, please don't. <laughs> Just kidding. Praise God the Lord doesn't send me to the North Pole. Um, this is the real key to freedom. Is being willing to walk in the light. If we're in the light, as he is in the light then we're going to have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then there's nothing in me that keeps me from connecting with every one of you at a heart level. We have fellowship with one another. We have koinonia. We have real communion with each other. The only reason we can't do that is because there's things that we really don't want to let go of in order to connect at that level. And I praise God there's a hunger in this place. And I know that we're not all there yet. 
What do you mean there? I mean, there at a place where we are ready to uh, say, okay, Lord, whatever it is, rip it out of me. I'm ready to repent for anything and everything. I want full exposure. I want to walk in radical obedience to your voice. But the Lord's more concerned about which direction we're going than where we're at. And if we're in that process and we're reaching for more, he'll take us there. And if there's something in you that is hungry for more of the Holy Spirit, I'm here to tell you, Holy Spirit is more than willing to come and engage you and to radically revolutionize every part of your life. Life is short on this earth. It's really long in eternity. And I'm not even talking about eternal punishment. I'm talking about eternal rewards. I'm not motivated by a fear of hell. But I will say this. There's only one that I fear. And I'm not afraid of him. I just have a good, healthy fear of not wanting to disappoint my Heavenly Father. And there's nothing the devil can bring my way that's going to cause me to be afraid of him so that I have more tolerance for his stuff than I do for God's power. That makes sense? I want to see the power of God manifest through his people in a way that will rock the religious world around us. And you don't have to be 80. You can be 8. You don't have to be 8. You can be 80. It doesn't matter where you're at. God wants to use you. Just like these indigenous people that we're going to be ministering to down in Peru. You can be illiterate, and God can use you if you surrender to him. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. If the Lord's speaking to you today, And you know that there's a desire for you to surrender to radical obedience to his voice. Or there's something he's putting his finger on. Say, you know what? You've lived in fear and you need to let go of that. Then I want to invite you to come to the altar and give it up. And if there's another person and you're just afraid of what they'll think of you or how they'll react or how they'll respond, I'm telling you what, you're in a snare. Scripture says the fear of man brings a snare. If there's another human being that's keeping you from total surrender to the Lord, then you're in a snare and the Lord wants to set you free from that. You know, he wants to set us free like a bird set free from the fowler, the snare of the fowler. Some of you know that there's a calling on your life and you're afraid of the cost. What's it going to cost me if I really surrender to this thing? And I'm here to tell you, whatever it costs is such a small price to pay. There's nothing, nothing like knowing that you're in the center of where God's called you to be. 
There's nothing like that joy. To Jesus right now, I ask. I just want some of our leaders to come and lay hands on these folks at the altar. Jesus, we just want to surrender. Lord, forgive us where we've been more afraid of God's power than we have of Satan's power to keep people bound. Forgive us where we've allowed things to keep us in the shadows, to keep us in darkness because we have not known what's going to happen if we let everything come into the light. And Lord, this morning we're realizing afternoon, whatever it is. That life is short. And we don't have that much time. And we're going to be dealing with the rewards of what we surrender ourselves to in this time for eternity. And it's a big deal to us. And so, Jesus, we ask you to accept the surrender of our hearts today. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would radically engage us. And, Lord, we're making a commitment today that whatever it is that you've called us to do, we want to do it. Wherever it is that you've called us to go, we want to go. Whatever you need to do to prepare us, we ask that you would engage with us and help us to do that. And every person in our life that's kept us bound by their opinion, their manipulation, or their control, right now we repent and we ask you to forgive us for allowing other people to control us. Would you set us free from that snare today in Jesus' name? And Lord, let the song of every one of us be, I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. If no one else approves, I'm still going to follow. If it costs me every relationship in my life, I'm still going to follow you, Jesus, no matter the cost. Holy Spirit, would you come? Speak to your sons and your daughters in a special way. Remove every encumbrance, every limiting factor. Let the power of God be poured out on your sons and daughters today. Jesus. Jesus.